once again, it is good to be with you today. And um, I do want to say just to those who may be um, first time or perspective, and the, the stuff that's in that book is going to help you kind of absorb and be prepared, as well as um, lead you to some of the resources that will be helpful to you. Now, we are going through these, uh, these marks of a healthy church, and um, which is really a little bit different than what I typically do, meaning we typically have one passage of scripture that we're unpacking and unfolding and, and applying and pressing, and what we're doing with, with these marks primarily is stepping back and and kind of gathering our data to, to understand what it is that God desires for us in that particular topic. Um, so things are a little bit different. But today, we are looking at the subject of evangelism. And um, if you are like me, uh, evangelism is somewhat of a love-hate relationship. When you bring up the word evangelism, you bring up the subject evangelism, um, we kind of have this struggle with it. We love evangelism. Why? Can you tell me why we love evangelism? We love the gospel. We love to see the kingdom move forward. We love to see God's work being accomplished through His children and, and Him being glorified. We love that. But there's also this, this hate factor, and maybe that's a, a strong word, but it's, it's really the struggle that we have with our emotions because of our inadequacy, because of our fears because of guilt we might feel, because of failure that we have experienced. Are you with me there? I mean, so we, we, love, we love the gospel, we love evangelism, but at the same time, we really, really struggle with it. In fact, it's very likely that even coming today and knowing this, this subject was going to be talked about, part of you is saying, oh man, I want to grow, I want to learn, and part of you is thinking, oh man, I failed, I'm inadequate, I'm not doing enough. And I feel the same way. So this morning, I, I want us to, to be mindful that, uh, that, you know, that God is at work through our efforts. And, and he has us here for a reason. And we need some, some biblical clarity on this. Because even from within the church, um, there are messages that are discouraging us from evangelism. And you have this in your notes. Um, and I, I, I left the name up. But I want you to read this with me. Here is someone, uh, a well-known... Um, TV speaker, you might say, by the name of Robert Schuller, and here's what he says about evangelism. I don't think that anything has been done in the name of Christ under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelistic enterprise than the unchristian, uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost condition. Huh? What? See, we, even within the body of Christ, and I use, I'm using its broad umbrella, okay? There are those that don't even feel evangelism is necessary or that the kind of evangelism that the scripture talks about is how we should approach it. And I scratch my head with this one thinking, okay, then what is evangelism according to you? Well, his answer is man's greatest need is not for his sins to be forgiven, it's his low self-esteem. So his whole message had to do with more of a psychological, good quotes, gospel. So this is all coming from within the body of Christ. So there is confusion, would you agree? All right? And there is this, this struggle that we have because we know that we're inadequate. And yet at the same time, we want to do what God's called us to do. So uh, these, are all, these are all tensions for us. And, um, you know, I just, I just think, though, it's, it's really helpful to, to think through what Thabiti said. Anya uh, Wile, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, I could be wrong, but um, you can look at it. Anya Wile, I think it's right. But I love what he says here in, in that book, What is Health a Church Member? He says, it's frightening to think about how many people have not tasted the goodness of God and his salvation, not because Christians have not had opportunity to share, but because... 
we have been so shallow in what we did share. Just think about that. A healthy church member works to make sure that he himself is converted, but he also works to make sure that his evangelistic efforts are informed by a biblical understanding of conversion. Now, I don't have it up on the screen there, but I hope you listen to that, and that is, that quote is right there in the book. You can see it in the book if you read it. Um, I can't remember what page it's on. But his whole point is this. Our understanding of how we share the gospel is based on our understanding of what conversion is. In other words, we, we truly understand the gospel. When we understand the gospel for what it really is, it's not just love and grace. It's also man's sinfulness and God's wrath that is necessary because of man's sinfulness. All those things being true. Then we can share the gospel. We will share the gospel differently than if it's simply this, this loose, warm and fuzzy kind of good news message that has no teeth. Now, what we've looked at over the past couple of weeks is the subject of conversion. We've looked at um, the subject of the gospel. we looked at evangelism. Conversion has to do with what took place at that moment of salvation. It's that regeneration that takes place in the heart. Last week, we took time to look at that. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the facts of the gospel. We're talking about the message, the content of that gospel. Today, we're looking at evangelism, which primarily means the sharing of that gospel. What does that look like? How do we do that? And these are all intertwined. You really can't pull them apart from one another. You're going to be... You're going to be just talking about all those different issues together. But today, we want to focus our attention on the subject of evangelism. So let's just take a moment right now. Let's pray and ask for God to give us strength and wisdom and uh, just the ability to trust Him through this. Okay, Lord, we thank You that we can talk about this subject. It is, Lord, something that You love. It's something, Lord, that You accomplish through Your servants. It is something You've called us to. And Lord, we want to be about what you desire, what you love. We want to be about the sharing of the, the good news of the gospel, Lord, with those that don't know it. We want to be about evangelism. But Lord, help us today to, to get a perspective, Lord, that would, would truly be based on a biblical understanding of what it is that you desire for us to be and do. And Lord, we are all um, tainted somewhat with man's ideas and man's efforts. And so, Lord, help us this morning. And, Lord, even as we continue to wrestle with this and desire to, to honor you with uh, our own personal evangelism, Lord, would you help us to see your truth and be able to eradicate anything that may really make your gospel shallow or, or hinder the gospel from going forth, Lord. Give us strength today. Give us wisdom. Give us humility to learn. We ask in your name. Amen. Alright, so um, here's, here's what I want to, want to recommend. This subject, evangelism, is big. Would you agree with me? It's a big topic. And I, I want to be careful that I'm not just kind of like throwing a whole bunch of stuff at you and just, you know, like, oh, this is so much, because we could do that. Um, I want to use, I want to describe it this way. I'm going to use hunter terminology here, okay? I don't just want to give you buckshot, alright? What I want to do, though, is I do, want to, I do want to give you three cartridges that are full of large-gauge buckshot. So we're going to talk about three, three points that are going to help us understand biblical evangelism. Okay? Um, I want to say three avenues that we need to walk down to understand biblical evangelism. And each of these, each of these is going to be a cartridge with a number of buckshot, but we can't cover it all. But we're going to try at least wrap our hands around it enough to get some perspective and to point in the right direction and to identify some areas um, where God's people with good intentions have fallen short. So let me give you the basic headings here, first of all. Um, these three principles. First one is this. Uh, we need to embrace um, the friendly struggles. And I'll explain what that is here in just a minute. Friendly struggles. All right? Secondly, um, we need to avoid the failing strategies. Failing strategies. You, should, you have this in your handouts, right? And the last one then is we want to be, we want to be a fragrant sower or fragrant sowers, if you want to put it that way. Okay? 
So let's jump in now, and let's think about these, these three. The first one we're going to spend a bit of time on, um, and I'm calling it Embracing the Friendly Struggle. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Matthew 4 and verse 19. I was ordained in 1992, June of 1992, and um, it was during that, that week in preparation for my ordination, I was having my devotions and I was in Matthew chapter 4, and I came to a passage of scripture that I had read many, many times before. But what God was doing, he was working on my heart at that particular point in time. He made something very, very clear to me uh, during that time that was a seed thought, so to speak, but it was a clarifying thought. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says this, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, I want you to understand that as I began thinking and pondering this passage of scripture, something became very, very clear to me as God was peeling back the glory of himself. I began to see a distinction between two things, a distinction between my responsibility and God's sovereignty. Just read that verse one more time with that perspective. What does God say? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me and be fishers of men. Is there a big difference between those two? Absolutely. He says, follow me. Your job is to follow me. And when you follow me, what will I do? I will make you fishers of men. And I began to see that, yes, there is a human responsibility that I have before God. But there is a divine activity going on here. It's His sovereignty at work. He will be the one who is making me a fisher of men. And my responsibility, ultimately, is to follow Him. 1 Peter 3 um, Verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, uh, uh, sorry, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. God does call me to honor Him. That's a human responsibility. Would you agree with that? Okay. He does call me then also to be ready. Human responsibility. He also calls me to to have a right attitude, to do all that with gentleness and with respect. Now, those things being true, it was a small insight, though, that began to birth a whole new change in my understanding of the gospel and how the gospel is, is given out. And, um, this is really important for me because I was in a, in a Christian culture at that point in time that placed a lot of emphasis on human responsibility as it related to salvation and, and evangelism. And I had lived with the guilt of not finishing a gospel presentation effectively. Anyone relate to that? Or forgetting a pertinent verse that needed to be shared. Or failing to open my mouth at all. There's a proper place for God's emotion that he puts on us, that feeling of guilt. It, it, it is there for a reason to reveal ways in which I've fallen short, but it's also possible to have false guilt based on things that are not necessarily biblically true. Okay? There is a human responsibility factor. I am responsible for him to do something. It was as if, though, I had believed that I was supposed to follow him and then go fishing, as I said earlier. What God was breathing into me afresh was an understanding that he was much more significant and a part of this whole process of evangelism. In fact, I would come to learn that evangelism and salvation are totally and completely under the sovereign control of God. Yes, we respond, but as we looked at last week, the only way that we can respond is because God breathes into us faith. He breathes into us Repentance. He breathes into us this regeneration. We respond to it, but God is the one who is sovereign in the whole process. God is the one who draws us. He's the one who grants that faith and repentance. He's the one that awakens the heart. 
So as we think about these two subjects, though, human responsibility and God's sovereignty can cause somewhat of a headache. It can cause your mind to spin, can it not? And there have been debates after debates after debates on the relationship of these subjects together. However, I think these two don't necessarily need to be volatile. I think they can work together. Is it true that God is sovereign in salvation and evangelism? Would you agree with that? Would you agree also that man is responsible in salvation and in evangelism? Yes. Right? Both are true. You go to text of scripture and it says, you know, believe. And you'll be saved. So what do we have to do? Believe. I mean, there's, 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 we have to respond. We, there's a part where we're involved. Now, as we're sharing the gospel, God says, go out. You know, the, the fields are, are, are white unto harvest, and I need laborers in the harvest. That means that there are people that need to go and be a part of, of sharing the good news and reaping that harvest. There's a human responsibility there, but there certainly is also a divine activity, a divine sovereignty. Both are true statements that seem to contradict. Okay? Now, you might be saying to yourself, I'm not sure that I believe that God is sovereign. I'm not sure that I believe that truth, um, that He is totally in control. Listen, mankind doesn't want a sovereign God. Because if God is sovereign, what does that mean? That He is in charge of everything. And if He's in charge of everything, that means what? I'm not. Even believers don't want a sovereign God. Oh, they want a sovereign God when it comes to salvation. And they want a sovereign God to get them out of some personal trouble that they may be in, or maybe even to have some control over most of their lives. But there are some errors that they say, God, keep out. I do not want you sovereign here. Right? And we all wrestle with some of that. But God is sovereign. Let me tell you two ways you know that you actually believe that God is sovereign. Yeah, let me just tell you two ways you know that, that God is sovereign. When you give thanks to God for your salvation, you are acknowledging that he, is, he was and He is sovereign in your life. Lord, we say thank you for saving me, right? We don't say, Lord, thank you for making me so smart. For giving me the wisdom to, to see the importance of of what it is that you said, so that I could come to a logical, right decision that you are the one who provides salvation. Yes, I have been skilled, unlike other people who haven't come to this conclusion before, but no, we say, God, <laughs> you are the one that brings salvation. It's only because of you, right? We're acknowledging his sovereignty in our lives. Secondly, when we pray, for people and their salvation. How do we pray for people who we are, you know, going to God to uh, about, you know, Lord, you know, would you would you please save them, open their heart, let them see your glory, allow them to comprehend their sinfulness, oh, Lord, allow allow them to to see their need of you. That's that's all an appeal to God. To be the one who initiates, right? We don't pray, God, would you please um, convince them so that they could actually, in their own mind, come to the right conclusions based on the data that's thrown out there and independent of your influence. No, we we're praying to God to act, to do. Okay, so if you're wrestling with whether God is sovereign or not, just understand you pray to that, you pray that way, especially when it comes to salvation of others. And how you thank God for your salvation is also a revelation of the fact that you believe in God's sovereignty. Let's look at John chapter 6 and verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35 and following. Again, we want to see these two things together. And these are, these are critically important for us as we move ahead and we think about how do we evangelize. Because friends, we need to know that God is sovereign. We need to be sure that He's sovereign. We also need to recognize that because he is sovereign, he has chosen to work through us, his servants, to accomplish his purposes. John 6, verse 35 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. So there are some who come and believe, and there are some who come and don't believe. Would you agree with that so far? All right. Now, continues on. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So God the Father has already determined who he's going to be giving. And what happens to those people? Jesus says, they will come to me. All right, now listen. Remember last week we talked about, you know, the, the, the needle point and looking on top. And it all makes sense when you're looking on the top, but you're looking from underneath and it just, it's all a mess. And, and here's exactly one of those places where you have to say, listen, I don't understand how this works. But this is what Jesus said is true. Therefore, what? I have to believe it. This is what God says about himself. Jesus is saying, listen, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the Father gives, they come, and they come in belief. Divine sovereignty, the Father gives, human responsibility, people ultimately are coming. They're not coming coerced. They're not just like, you know, being pulled out of spring, you're going to come if you like it or not. All right? That's, people aren't coming like that. But God in his sovereignty is working his will. And those whom he has called, he will be bringing. And that's what he's talking about there. Look at verse 39. Here again, we have God's sovereignty. And this is the will of him who sent me. Well, who sent him? The Father. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So is Jesus going to lose any of the people that God says that he has given him? Answer? Absolutely not. Okay. I don't understand the mechanics of that. Do you? So I have to say, this is what God says. I have to believe it. Look at verse 40. Here's human responsibility. For this is the will of my Father, again, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have, or in, and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Human responsibility is people still have to believe, right? All right. So there is this tension going on. You agree with me? It's, it is a tension. All right. This is what is called an antinomy. An antinomy. Okay? Two truths that make sense on their own, but that appear to contradict each other. All right? And I just, just put a little note here. J.I. Packer, in his book, The Sovereignty of God and Salvation, um, he spends a good bit of time talking about this. Okay? An antinomy. So here we have two truths that by themselves make complete sense. Are, are gleaned from Scripture. You, you cannot read Scripture and come to another conclusion if you're properly allowing Scripture to say what it says. You just let it speak, right? God is sovereign. Man is responsible. How in the world do they come together? Well, listen to what uh, um, Alistair Beck says about this. When these two truths, divine sovereignty and human responsibility, are set side by side, they are seemingly irreconcilable, yet both are undeniable. Great? In our humanity, in our, in our wisdom, we just putting it together, it just, again, yeah, the mechanics of it, I don't know. But they are undeniable. The story's told of um, C.H. Spurgeon. Um, if, if he could reconcile these two truths together, and he said, I wouldn't try, he replied, I never reconcile friends. He called them friends. And that's why I'm saying one of the first things that we need to come to terms with as we think about evangelism is this, this friendly struggle between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Now listen, there's pitfalls on, on both sides if you go off the ditch, right? If, if you embrace divine sovereignty without human responsibility, then you're basically saying, listen, I don't have to do any evangelism because God is going to bring all those people to himself. Right? That's, that's the pendulum swinging all the other way. 
God says he's going to bring them, he's going to draw them, all that I give you are going to come, then why should I even evangelize? God says he's going to do it. But then again, we have the pendulum swing the other way, and that is if it's all human responsibility, then what are you doing sitting in here? You should be out stopping everyone at that street that drives by, and you shouldn't stop until you die. All right, that's the other extreme. Because it's all about me. And it also goes into other areas of, all right, I've got to get these people saved. And that, we'll get to that in just a minute. But there's, there's a balance here that God wants us to have. It's bringing those two things together. Embracing God's sovereignty. Embracing our responsibility. And then going forward in evangelism with those two friends. We're both at work in our lives. You with me there? We need both of them. And we need to embrace both of them. And embrace them for the glory of God. You might want to write down Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The point here being, you know, we may not know all the mechanics of it, but we've been given enough to be settled in the fact that God is sovereign, man is responsible, and they are both friends for the glory of God, for the purpose of evangelism. Okay? So, as you encounter an evangelistic opportunity, let's just say you're sitting at Starbucks and someone is, is there and something happens and you know they begin a conversation, you begin a conversation, you are saying to yourself, God, you're at work here. You've already been preparing this heart. You're already doing something with this person. I don't know what you've been doing. I don't know who the called are. I'm going to leave that up to you, but I am going to open my, my, my mouth and I'm going to share the truth of your gospel. I'm going to be responsible for what you've commanded me to do, and I'm going to do it with the best of my ability, knowing that I'm a weak, sinful creature. I'm in, a, inadequate. I fail, but I'm going to do it. Both of those things are true. And when you are inadequate and you're walking away, having had that conversation, you're like, oh, man, I should have remembered that verse. Oh, that illustration. Oh, man, why didn't and guess what? God is sovereign over that. Right? I have to beat myself up. Unless I have a, an attitude that's like, well, you know, I'll just throw something out there. All right, that's sin. If you're taking your opportunities lightly before God. But if you just talk about using my gifts and being incomplete or inadequate, guess what? God is sovereign even through my weakness. And oftentimes that's even what he uses to bring glory to himself. So that you can't see your own power and strength. Say, yep, got another one. <laughs> Put that mark on my belt. All right. That's the first one. And guys, for me, coming to terms with that was a life-changing, um, life-changing experience as far as my understanding of theology and my understanding of the gospel and my understanding of how ministry is done. It fashions and shapes a church. It fashions and shapes a life that helps us see that that evangelism is not some kind of a sales pitch. It is God at work through his children accomplishing his purposes. And so you don't have to force that question right away. I'm not saying don't ask the question. Don't leave them down. But I tell you what, we can be so manipulative if we think the responsibility is on us. Here's the second thing. And this is going to be more um, just kind of reflecting over some, some mistakes. I think good intentioned people have made through the years. Um, again, listen to Thabiti, um, again from his book. He says, apart from a biblical understanding of conversion and evangelism, a church member will be most unhelpful in completing the church's mission of making disciples, yet with the contemporary church's fascination with pragmatic, in other words, if it works, do it, in methods and techniques, it is easy for members to be led in unhealthy directions if they don't understand conversion and evangelism. Unprincipled pragmatism is in the end not only unfaithful, but also unpragmatic. Let me explain what he's saying there. If you have methodology, and that methodology gets people to attend, gets people to respond to a gospel message, and you may have, let's say, in the context of, I want to say, a church service, let's say you have 100 people just you know, affirm that they've embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior, and you've used the mechanics, and the people are being dealt with, and you're celebrating because all these people got saved, but that gospel message has been shallow, 
your pragmatism really hasn't been pragmatic. If anything, it's been unpragmatic because you really don't have true conversions. You have people who think they are converted but are not because the gospel that they've embraced is shallow. And then you have a church that is confused and is offended that the pastor might even question your salvation because it's written in my Bible. I walked an aisle. I got baptized. Pragmatism is popular in America's church today. You know, how can we set the mood? You know, what's the atmosphere going to be like? And let's have the music playing and whatever it might be. And there's, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with having things that just kind of allow people to contemplate. But if the purpose is manipulation for someone to make a decision, friends, we've got to question whether or not that is truly the gospel. Because conversion is far more than simply making a decision. It is regeneration. It is new life. So pragmatism of that kind, friends, ultimately is unpragmatic because what they think is taking place isn't really taking place because there have been some things left out. Let's talk a little bit about that, all right? So some of these things are basically this. What, what evangelism is not? Evangelism is not, first of all, imposition. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, let's just think, step back a little bit, and let's think of the church, and let's just think about one of the complaints that's thrown out against believers, especially in the culture today. How dare you impose your opinion, your religious opinion on me? Ever heard that before? Now, let me ask this question. First of all, is it your opinion? The facts of the gospel are the facts. People might want to call them opinions, but it's not your opinion. These are the facts that have been tried and tested through the years, proven and shown to be true historically. In the court of law, you can come and use the evidence and find in Scripture to show that, that what took place did take place. It's not just your opinion, personally. But there is something about imposition here that I think is important for us to understand. Let's step back. When the Catholic Church came to the States early on with the explorers, what did they do? When they conquered certain people groups, what did they do? They converted them to Catholicism. Now, did it happen this way? Hey, you know, we just came over from Europe and we just thought that maybe we could kind of like team up here in the States and we, we just would like for you to consider maybe becoming Catholics, abandoning your worship of the sun and the moon and all that kind of stuff and sacrificing people. Just come and be Catholic. Is that how it happened? Absolutely not. It was coercion. It was, if you don't do this, we're going to kill you. All right? I remember early on in ministry, I did, um, my wife down to Miami, Florida, we did ministry down there, Fort Lauderdale area. And one of the things we learned was the, the, the religion called Santeria. You may be familiar with Santeria. Santeria basically is, is voodoo from the Caribbean islands under the guise of Catholicism. Because those that were there said, yeah, okay, we'll convert to Catholicism, but every one of your saints is going to be one of our gods. And they embraced it, and they put their own language, their own meaning on the things that they were doing. So they saved their lives, but they were still able to follow and worship their own pagans. All right? They were coerced into saying something. Let's think about Islam. Does Islam typically go into an area? Has it historically gone into an area and said, hey, listen, you know, we, we're, we're Muslims here. And we just kind of thought that maybe we could kind of work together. And we could be like a religion together and tolerate one another. But we'd love for you to consider Islam and come and be a part of the Muslim faith. Um, is that how it usually happened? No. Now, this, it's both under the, under the umbrella, broad umbrella of Christianity as well as the broad umbrella of, of other religions. The coercion has taken place. You must acknowledge that, right? Evangelism is not in position. You say, okay, that doesn't relate to me because I'm not standing with a sword at someone's neck saying you must be born again, all right? That's not exactly the evangelistic strategy we're talking about, no. But let me tell you something. Let me, let me bring it home for you to think about by means of application. As a parent, do you want your children 
to be, to be followers of God, to be children of God? Is that your desire? Is that your longing as a parent? What's the answer? Yes. yes. However, is it possible that you impose on them so that they say the right things, they go through the right paths, they go through the right motions, they, 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 might, you know, they pray a prayer, they get baptized, but ultimately, they're only doing it to satisfy mom and dad. They're not really doing it because there's a complete change in their heart. Is that possible? Okay. And this is where we've got to understand that this imposition is something we've got to be careful about. Is it right to raise your children in the ways of God? Answer? Yes. yes. Is it right to pray for them that, that God would open up their heart? Absolutely. But we as parents got to be careful that we're not simply trying to satisfy ourselves and say, you know, Johnny prayed a prayer when he was, you know, year and four months. There, you rolled over like this. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Because we so want our children to become children of God that we, we force something to be true rather than model before them the gospel and allow the gospel to affect their heart and their lives so that we see the fruit that is in their life. You with me there? So there's the possibility that we can impose. There's also the, the possibility that you can impose in your evangelism when you are really forcing the hand of, um, you, know, you, you know, I'm right and you're wrong, as opposed to simply letting the gospel do its thing. Okay, so, so just be mindful that we, we can be guilty of this. Maybe not in the grand scale that we're talking there, but in smaller ways, it's possible for us to be uh, exercising position. That's, that's not evangelism. All right, secondly, personal testimony. Anyone here have a personal testimony? Okay, now, um, personal testimonies are good, all right? Um, but usually a personal testimony is your story, right? A story of, of, you know, what you once were and what you are now and, you know, what God did. However, many times, uh, personal testimonies leave out a very important factor. And what is that? The gospel, okay? So, it's possible to think that your testimony of a changed life is evangelism. But if it doesn't contain the gospel, you're not giving the good news. So if we share our testimony, have opportunity to share our testimony, including the good news and doing it diligently, purposefully, is absolutely necessary to make sure that what you're doing in a personal testimony is truly evangelism. You with me there? Okay. So it's important to say, yeah, this is what I once was. You know, I was a gang member, and I killed a lot of people, and God saved me, and now I'm living my life for the glory of God. To say, okay, let's stop and talk about that, the Lord saved me part. What does that look like? You know, how did he, how did he draw me? What was going on in my heart? How did I see my own sinfulness before him? And why did I think that that was okay, that he revealed to me how sinful I was, and and, and, and what came to my mind when I thought about God to see that he was creator and that, and that I had to humble myself before him because I deserved his wrath completely. It was only because, because of what Jesus accomplished on that cross and that he paid for that sin. And just talk about, you know, you've got to get into the gospel. Otherwise, it could be shallow. And I think many times when people have shared their testimonies, there is the possibility of things being shallow. Like just one little story here. This, I, I, I still hit my head against the wall when I think about this. A church in Michigan, there was a, a gal, I can't remember her name, real, real sweet gal, but um, you know, she came to know the Lord. And, um, we were working with her, and she wanted to be baptized. And so I said, okay, we need, we need to get you baptized. And I met with her and walked her through the gospel, walked her through baptism, and walked her through a testimony, and it's great, you know. The thing was, at, at the baptism, we wanted to, them to share their story and what God did and how it changed their lives. And so I, I turned and said, okay, you know, before I baptize you, why don't you share your testimony? And she said, well, one day I was having a difficult day, and someone came knocking at the door, and um, I opened the door, and some people from your church, and then I looked up in the sky, and I saw a rainbow, and this where did that come from? <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, oh, you know, and, 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 you know but this, and this is what was important to her. But listen, the testimonies are not necessarily the gospel or evangelism, okay? And, um, anyway, just ponder on that one for a bit, all right? 
you know, it was just one of those times I was like, okay, Lord, I might keep her down a little longer. Just to, <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It seems like a good um, It's also not, it's, um, it's not social or political activism. Isn't it interesting that people can get far more excited about signing up for the Republican Party or the Democratic Party than they can about the gospel and about sharing the good news? And it's like, you know, all right, maybe you're not going to go to heaven, but at least be a Republican. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what? What's up with that? And rallying people for a cause. You know, we could be, we could be so consumed with social causes that we almost like just kind of neglect the importance of the gospel. Why are we here? We're here to glorify God. Well, don't you know you glorify God by being a Republican? Well, um, where does it say that? You know, you with me, right? Okay, we're, we're all Democrats and Republicans. No, it, it's the gospel. And now, some of these things are important. Some of the, it is important sometimes to be active politically. But understand, it's the gospel that people really need. When it comes to social issues, well, you know, there's a lot of crime in our, in our, you know, in our neighborhood. There's a lot of young people going out and they're carousing and they're drinking and they're doing drugs. The answer is the gospel. Right? That doesn't mean that we don't have some social side to that, but we've got to make sure that things are kept in balance. In our hearts. Let me just throw this out there. I mean no offense to anyone. Um, when you go to your local YMCA, what do you not think about? The fact that this is a young man's what? Christian, Christian association. Started out with good intentions. Many, many inner city missions started out with good intentions. Helping those who are struggling. Providing food. Sharing the gospel with people who are needy. But often over time, what gets set aside? The gospel. And the, the thinking ultimately is that people need their needs met. And the gospel becomes secondary. Friends, social activity, political activism are not evangelism. Now, can be, social dynamic can be a vehicle but ultimately it is not. Here's, here's the, the, the last one. Well, the second to the last one. Apologetics. Apologetics is simply defending a position. Defending Christianity. Defending the gospel. You may have a friend at work that you're constantly defending the gospel with. Okay? This is not a mechanism for evangelism. Although... There is a need for apologetics, great. But simply defending the truth is not necessarily evangelism. Right. Let me ask you this. Can you win an argument and be wrong? That's the whole point of debate, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether you agree with the topic or not. You argue it because you want to win. So it's, it's possible that you have the truth of the gospel... But because you are not arguing with skill like the other person is, you lose. Although you have the truth. So be careful you don't get caught into this apologetic when really what is needed is evangelism. Understand the distinction there. Um, could be for you a difficult thing. But you need to step back and say, why am I doing this? Share the truth of the gospel and pray that it will, it will set. Here's the last one. Um, confusing the fruit of evangelism with evangelism. What I mean by that is this. Well, we had two people come to know Jesus today. Therefore, the gospel must have been preached. Decisions were made. Therefore, evangelism has taken place. We already talked about that. Not necessarily so. And oftentimes, that is where the American church, by and large, gets all excited and happy but it's because of a shallow gospel. So we're talking about what appears to be fruit. Now, we're going we're gonna to take a moment just, just a bit to look at some things that I think are helpful and important as far as evangelism is concerned. 
Uh, but listen to what John Stott says. To evangelize does not mean to win converts. Huh? But simply to announce the good news irrespective of the results. And I would say he's absolutely right. You and I do not win converts. What do we do? We share the good news of the gospel. We proclaim the good news of the gospel. And here's where I want to go to the third one. All right? God calls us, and I'm putting it this way, to be a, become a fragrant sower. And this is a process. This is an ongoing activity. And I've taken some themes from a couple of the passages and put them together here. I don't think you, you're quick to see them. But let's, let's look at these. Uh, we have six things here. Um, that I think will be helpful for us as we say, okay, what then is evangelism? Well, first of all, it involves this. Um, we need to be seeking God. This is the, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What does God call us to do? Follow him. Now, just like in counseling, the best counselor is a good counselee. The best evangelist is one who is willing to preach the gospel to themselves. And willing to listen to the gospel. Which means that you need to be willing to hear the truth of the gospel applied to your life so that you will say, God, please forgive me for my failure in not trusting you. Even though I, I am your child, but I have failed to apply that gospel to my life. I, I need to be a growing Christian, pursuing God. That's what he calls us to. Alright, secondly, um, being a fragrant sower means that we're studying his word. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, if you would please. Now you've heard the, the verse of Scripture in Isaiah talking about that the Word of God will not return void, right? Um, you know, many times people have what are called gospel tracts on them. Little, little flyers, little booklets that, that explain the gospel, share the gospel. You can lead them to different places. A guy years ago talked about a, a strategy to, to reach people that was, you know, if, you, if we can just maybe get like a good year blimp, fly over an area, and we'll have all these gospel tracks, and uh, in particular the Word of God, and we'll just shower everyone that can be. Can you imagine the good year blimp? It's, you know, it's an A's game, and after the A's game, it flies around the East Bay, and it drops down to Scripture. Okay, um, I think it's one of, the, one of the ministries of the Gideons is to get the Bible into all these different places. I remember when I was in, in, uh, in England, I was probably 12 years old, and the Gideons came through us in the public school, and they handed out Bibles. And I remember walking down this path. Everyone had to walk down this path in order to get out of school, and there were Bibles strewn all over the place. Kids had been given Bibles, and they'd thrown out. Okay. Um, I read a story once about a, in the story about a guy saying he wanted to get the gospel out, so he put, he got, you know, like a fortune cookie, the, the little messages in there. Imagine it was a little smaller, but it was a verse of scripture. And what he did is he made a whole bunch of these and he put them in the chicken coop so that the birds would eat these things. And the thinking was that when they would actually um, hatch an egg, that in the egg would be these scripture verses, so that when people we're sitting down to have their breakfast. They would fry an egg up and say, oh, for God so loved the world. You know, I mean, okay. creativity. Okay. Now, you probably have all heard stories about how the word of God going out there um, by itself has impacted a life and has, has brought about, brought salvation in someone's soul. Okay? Can I just say this? That is not norm. Okay? It's not the norm. The norm is that people come alongside other people and they open up the Word of God and they explain to them what the Word of God says. If the person is regenerate, they have the Holy Spirit inside them. That Holy Spirit will use the ministry of someone coming alongside and teaching them. Right? Acts chapter 8 is one of those passages that we go to when we, when we think about that, and it is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And in particular, um, I want you to go down to verse 
1930 31. Guy from, uh, from Ethiopia, he's on a chariot, very important, a very important guy, but he's reading Isaiah, Isaiah 53 in particular. And God miraculously sends Philip to him. He hops into the, the, the um, chariot with him. And, and notice what it says here, um, beginning at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone what? Guides me. And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And the rest of the story is he explains to him that passage. He explains Christ from that particular passage of Scripture. Friends, 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 please understand this. If we are going to be faithful in evangelism, you and I need to be growing, growing, growing in our understanding of the Word of God. Evangelism is not for the experts. Evangelism is for every child of God. And God calls us all to be growing students of the Word of God. And He will use those things that we have learned so that when we come alongside someone, we can explain what is there. Now, it's, it's very easy for us to say, okay, you know, I, I threw out a track, I've done my duty, Ooh, I evangelized today. But I just want to challenge you that evangelism is much more coming alongside someone and opening the Word of God. And that can only happen if you and I understand the Word of God and know what the Word of God says and what it means. Okay. Now, American Christianity, by and large, if it has been fed a shallow gospel, has people in the churches that are what? Shallow in their understanding of what the Word of God says. Who then don't really know what the gospel is to be able to sit down and open up the Word of God to explain what it says. Are you with me there? We need to be students of the Word. Alright? Let's go on here. Um, oh, quick quote here. I put this on Facebook last night. Mark Dever says this, How someone shares the gospel is, of course, closely related to how someone understands the gospel. How someone shares the gospel is closely related to how someone understands the gospel. Here's the last one. We sub- or not the last one, third one. We submit to his will. Alright, Matthew 28, go. I don't want to go. No, go. That's for all of us. Go, teach, baptize. There, these, we are commanded to evangelize. Would you agree with that? Yeah. All right. So the issue here is being submissive. It's, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the things that we do that make us who we are, our jobs, our families. They're all good things. But God also calls us to be going, to be in the business of going and sharing the gospel. Um, the fourth thing, speaking the truth. All right, 1 Peter 3.15 um, we read that passage earlier, talking there about always being ready to, uh, I'll read it here again, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, uh, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so the idea here is to speak the truth, but just like in a court of law, speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Which means if you share the gospel, it's always, it's always, always tempting to withhold some of the more wrathful dynamics of the gospel for fear that there will be a rejection. But understand this, that your withholding means that you're not getting a complete gospel. And you're not being honest about what the gospel is. And someone might be responding ultimately to a decision in their heart to follow a God that is not the God that they think they are following, and they could be confused and ultimately not even a true convert. Speak the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. How's that finish? So I hope you got. Yeah, you need God's help to do that, right? All right. So be prepared to make a defense. Don't give in to the shallow gospel. Okay. The next one. Sow the seed of the gospel. I love this passage. Preached through it a number of times. The four soils. Um, the ultimate. The ultimate point of it is this. Our job as God's children is to do what? So tell me. What is it? To sow the seed of the gospel. His job is to prepare the hearts. Some fell on 
hard ground, some fell on rocky ground, some fell on thorny ground, and some fell on good ground. I don't know the difference. You know, if someone comes up to me at Starbucks and we sit down and have a conversation, or as I was on the, the airplane the other day, the person didn't want to talk at all, I, you don't know. But you might have the opportunity to talk, and God may have been preparing that heart for a word. Or that heart may be seemingly prepared, at least in our eyes, but it just it fizzles out real fast. My job is not to determine the soil. My job is to sow the seed. And the seed goes here, the seed goes there, the seed goes wherever it goes. But God is sovereign in that, right? Even in a little seed and where it lands. Think about that. Because he's been preparing a heart. So sow. And sow. And sow. Just throw it out there, all right? Ultimately, true conversion will yield lasting fruit. So if you want to measure the genuineness of someone's relationship with God, what you're looking for is lasting change, lasting fruit, not immediate fruit. Although that immediate fruit is encouraging, isn't it? And you see a radical change in someone. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a radical change in this immediate fruit. But sometimes that's all we look for, and that can fizzle out. Here's the last one. This is really ultimately um, what God's called us to, to smell. You want to smell, right? This is, this is my, my last word for you today. Go home and be smellers for Jesus, okay? What does the passage say? I think you have it there in your hand, have you not? We, for we are the aroma of what? Of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We smell differently to those who are being saved, maybe, than to those who are perishing. It's not that we have two different messages or two different gospels, or, but we are an aroma of Christ. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Now listen. You can't control that. If you're standing for Christ and you're sharing the gospel, guess what? For some people, it is going to be a breath of fresh air, right? I mean, literally, it's going to be a whole life-changing experience that will result in lasting joy and satisfaction because it comes from Christ through you to others be death be hatred be mockery we can't control how people will respond to the gospel we can't control whether or not we are giving the gospel whether we're representing the gospel faithfully well, guys we really haven't talked mechanics so much but how do you but we'll, there's a bunch of principles here that we, we begin to apply. And friends, as, as a child of God, be responsible to seek God, to study His Word, to, um, to be ready to submit as, as His Holy Spirit is directing you or as God organizes sovereignly the circumstances of your life to give you that opportunity to share, looking for it. Be ready to speak the truth and the whole truth. Recognize that you're just you're sowing. That's what God's called you to. And ultimately, you smell. But you smell the aroma of Christ. And that is a beautiful thing. Now let's pray. And we'll take just a couple of minutes to talk about this. And then if Lily's going to come, he will close it today. I'm like, last week. I took that from him. And I don't want him to get bitter at me. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I, I still feel like we have um, been hit with buckshot today. And that there is, um, there is shot going out in all different directions. But Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would, would allow us to, to grab a hold of, of those elements, Lord, that we need to bring into our hearts, that we need to ponder, that, 
that maybe are resting areas for us individually when we would process this and consider Lord, what, it, what it is that we are doing in this arena of evangelism. Lord, you've called us to it personally. You've called us to it as a church. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to you as we, as we seek, Lord, to represent you and to, to faithfully proclaim your gospel, not only to the church, but also, Lord, to those who don't um, know you yet, and yet you are in the process of drawing to yourself. Lord, help us to see the beauty of that, to be rejoicing over about the fact that we can be a part of that process, Lord. Um, teach us, mold us, shape us, Lord, according to you, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's take a few minutes to chat. What are the implications of this now for us as a church? This is where you participate for the next couple of minutes. Why is what we shared this morning important, or, or what implications does that have for what we do and how we do it? So just fire questions or comments or whatever it might be, okay? We need to understand the gospel. Okay. So the importance then of really having a grasp of what the gospel is. Okay. What else? We need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves. Okay. We need to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves, meaning applying the change that God has promised in us to our simple struggles. Yes. Other hand somewhere. Yes. knowing the word and, and being ready and coming alongside others and opening up the word of God. Absolutely. What else? Other people kind of touched on this, but sometimes you're going to be in a situation where you might only have a couple sentences. It might not be, it might be a divine short and brief, like someone might say, wow, there's something really different about you. And you kind of have to have rehearsed something ready to say that it's maybe one or two or three sentences about the gospel because that's all the time you have, but it could still be God's divine plan. Yep. But you almost have to have memorized something, even though that sounds kind of rote and boring, but right. you're not going to be able to share, you know, maybe even all of John. <laughs> okay, just half of it, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. Our opportunities are varied, aren't they? And our response can be really shallow, like, oh, God has done a miracle in my life, or God's saving work on the cross, I have new life, and you can too, and here's how. I don't know exactly what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yes? Thank you, because good to see you. Cousin um, back there, by the way. There's, there's a balance there. And listen, if, if for example, I mean, when churches do VBS, what is usually the measure of their success? How many children got saved this week? 
I'm just I'm throwing it out there that, that, that we often measure things based on what someone just said happened. And yet our goal is not simply a decision. Our goal is a life change, right? So we want to we be about seeing a, a, you know, the spark begin, the, the light to, to come on, and, and, and this renewed change in this life take place, and a process begin. Not just say, hey, boom, there we had a couple of decisions, and that's great. I, I rejoice. I mean, someone came up and said, Pastor Rod, I was sitting here, I was listening to you. You weren't even talking about the gospel, but God just came and smacked me, and I just realized that, that I'm a sinner. I deserve, and just go through all that thing. And, you know, I'm going to jump up and, and rejoice just like anyone, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but it's, it's also possible for us to have, have as our goal man-made measuring sticks. So well, what about the book of Acts? It says in 3,000 were added to the church. Hmm. Question. We'll have to come back next week. Because <laughs> next week we talk about church membership. Do we want a true church membership or do we just want numbers of people that say, hey, I want to join, but they really don't have a walk with God. Right? There's, there's a balance there. Right? There's a lot of implications here about how we do ministry, Right? And there's confusion even within the church. And, and listen, if we are confused, God, give us clarity. But we must allow the word of God to speak and embrace the truths that are there. Ilya, close us with um, one last song, if you would, please. And um, good to see all of you here today. Allow this to, to encourage and strengthen you for this.